0: Welcome back to another episode of the silent battle. I hope everyone is having a great week so far. I'm really touched by this heartfelt segment that is coming to you all today. Again I am your host Erica Honeycutt and today I will be interviewing Nicolin Bright. Nicolin is from Lubbock, Texas and she wants to bring awareness to interstitial lung disease. Her mother passed away from interstitial lung disease that was bought on by the autoimmune diseases rheumatoid arthritis and surgeon's syndrome. Rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disease that happens when the body attacks the joints and surgeon's syndrome is an autoimmune disease that happens when the body attacks the glands that make moisture in your eyes, mouth, and other body parts. Today, Nicklin wants to share her mom's raw and candid story about her journey with interstitial lung disease. Let's get started. Welcome, Nicklin, Thank you for being part of the Silent Battle podcast today.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Nicklin, can you again tell our listeners the name of your mom's disease and share with us regarding when this disease showed up in her life?
1: Yes. So, my mom's disease was interstitial lung disease, and mm-hmm. she was diagnosed in 2012. She got sick with pneumonia in October 2011, and at first she thought she had caught a cold while on vacation with my dad. Mm-hmm. My mom was rarely sick, she didn't have any health issues that we were aware of and was a non smoker.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But on her trip, she noticed she was very short of breath. Um, but she assumed maybe, you know, weight gain and maybe just being out of shape is, you know, what was contributing to that. When she got home, she went to a doctor twice, maybe three times. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. But each time, she was just given a and sent home. Um, after being sick for about three weeks, she was really struggling to breathe, and she knew she needed to go to the ER. Um, so my sister actually took her. And she was admitted to the hospital, and we were told she had pneumonia in both lungs.
0: Oh. So.
1: It was, it was tough. <laughs> I, can't,
0: I can't imagine, you know, um, well, honestly, you know, when you said that um, it just came out of nowhere, it seems like a lot of these interstitial lung diseases um, are just showing up. You know, they just, they just come out of nowhere, you know?
1: Absolutely. It's so hard to understand that. And I feel like you just have so many questions. Yeah. That, I you
0: know. What, what did you say? Uh, you broke up a little bit whenever you were talking about they gave her, uh, it was something you said they gave her and then they just sent her home.
1: Oh, um, they had just given her antibiotics thinking, you know, it was some sort of virus. Oh, okay. Um, and each time, yeah, they just sent her home and said to follow up with them.
0: What, um, you know, Did what other symptoms did she have in the beginning? Was it just shortness of breath or?
1: Yes. So really, she just had shortness of breath during those, um, you know, three weeks prior mm-hmm. to being hospitalized. And during the first week of her hospitalization, she was not assigned a doctor. Uh, instead, she was assigned whichever resident was on shift. Mm-hmm. So that was really frustrating because... We could see how sick she was. Right. Um, She was on full-time oxygen, hardly able to get out of bed without her O2 stats dropping drastically. Wow. Um, The residents just kept promising that she would be released soon, and we knew that's not what she needed. Um, She was getting progressively worse. At one point, a nurse who had cared for her during that first week that she was hospitalized told us we needed to contact a pulmonologist um, named Dr. PK Patel. Mm -hmm. Um, My mom actually lived in Midland, Texas, Uh um, so her hospitalization was in Midland, but that nurse really put herself on the line. I mean, she said she feared she could lose her job by interfering, Yeah. Um, but she knew that our mom was very, very sick and that Dr. PK was excellent and would, would... you know, take over her case. So my dad contacted him and he took over her case within the next day. Um, But she just drastically got worse during that time. She was transferred to an intensive care unit and she was receiving oxygen via BiPAP, like a mask that goes over your nose and mouth and forces oxygen. And that was really challenging for her because it, it, it feels, she said it feels very suffocating. Right. I mean, it's supposed to be doing the opposite. Though It's just very uh, invasive. Um, so unfortunately she continued to decline and Dr. PT explained to us that she was developing what is called ARDS, mm-hmm. acute respiratory distress syndrome from the pneumonia and that it was necessary for her to be intubated, placed in a drug-induced coma, and um, on a ventilator so that her lungs could re- receive assistance to breathe
0: oh my goodness uh,
1: that was terrifying um up until that moment I don't think my sister my dad or myself had ever even seen anyone on a ventilator right uh, and it's it's shocking you know for someone to be placed in a coma like that and to have that tube down their throat it it's just really shocking
0: well um, it all seemed to just happen so fast too
1: yes yes it was it was insane and it, it's crazy because we looked back on that and it's like three days prior we had a resident doctor telling us she would be released soon and then now she's in icu and in a drug and coma and on a vent and dr pk An amazing physician, and I cannot speak highly enough about him, Um, but he was also very candid with us and didn't want to provide any false hope, Mm -hmm. Um, and he said, you know, once someone is on a ventilator, you really have a 50-50 chance of surviving and and getting off of that ventilator, Mm -hmm. so that was incredibly scary, Um, and she she stayed in that state um, for several weeks, but eventually she was able or stable enough to breathe without the ventilator. Mm-hmm. Um, she was transferred to a rehab hospital where she had to learn to regain mobility. Um, <clears throat> and you know, when someone has been lying still on a bed for that long, they lose muscle mass very quickly. And oh yeah, it's, it, you just have to really relearn everything. Right. Um, but in that instance, she was in that state, like I said, for several weeks, so and she had you know gone into that in a healthy state prior, so it wasn't as difficult that time um, so eventually, after being in the rehab hospital where she learned to regain her mobility, mm-hmm. I managed to finish my last semester of college, and my mom her goal was to attend my graduation in Lubbock in December. And she did. It was truly a miracle. And wow. I'll, I'll never forget how proud I was of her for being able to be there, how grateful I was. Um, and it, it was just amazing. We had Christmas together. Uh, we got to enjoy the holidays. But we didn't know what was lying ahead. Right. And at this time, we just thought that, okay, she had gotten a really bad case of pneumonia. Mm-hmm. She had developed ARDS. Um, which I should have mentioned before arts, people can go into arts a number of ways. any kind of trauma to your lungs. So if you get into a car accident and your lungs are injured, you can develop acute respiratory distress syndrome. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
1: so that's really just kind of thought what we thought. It was, you know she just got a bad case of pneumonia and you know this just got out of control. right But then in mid-January 2012, she started to decline again Um, and she was sent home with oxygen and she was still you know having doctor's appointments and physical therapy and all sorts of things but her doctor said she was really really declining and wasn't understanding why her lungs weren't getting better. He said that she really needed a lung biopsy to determine what the underlying issue was. So. They admitted her to the hospital mm-hmm. and during mm-hmm. the biopsy, she declined severely. Oh, um, wow. her lung collapsed and she had to be intubated in a drug-induced coma and on a ventilator again.
0: Oh, wow. And
1: that biopsy showed she had severe pulmonary fibrosis.
0: Hmm. And
1: Dr. PK told us at this point her lungs were so damaged that she would likely need a lung transplant to survive. Um And that was just shocking. I mean, it was just so hard for us to wrap our minds around and to understand what was going on. And
0: Why do you think it took so long for them to do a a biopsy?
1: You know, I don't know. I've listened to different episodes of your podcast, and I've heard you describe, you know, you had a lung biopsy, and it seemed like a different you know, a really different experience for you. Yes. And I don't know if this was because it was a smaller hospital. It was, you know, back in 2012, you know, maybe things were different than, I don't know. Or maybe because her lungs were in such bad shape, they were trying to avoid that until she was recovered better. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Hmm. I'm not sure. But, um, that biopsy really threw her into another traumatic state. But it was it was necessary. It was right. a catch-22.
0: Right.
1: Um, <clears throat> so that time she was, you know, on a ventilator for much longer. Mm-hmm. And multiple times she nearly died. She was coded several times. Oh, wow. Um, many of which were due to what's called a pneumothorax. It's a collection of air outside the lung that applies pressure to the lung that you know makes it collapse Mm -hmm. so that 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 time period I want to say was maybe six weeks four weeks it was just very up and down one day we were thinking okay any minute she's going to be airlifted to another hospital and receive a transplant Mm -hmm. or at least wait for a transplant at the other hospital and then you know the next day it's Oh, her lung collapsed again, and they would bring my family into a special room that is where a doctor basically tells you a patient has passed. Mm-hmm. So it was just so much up and down, and so much it going was just on. Insane. Yeah. Yes.
0: Um, yes. Was it at that point when they did the lung biopsy that she was diagnosed with the ILD, the interstitial lung disease?
1: So it was. It was after. So okay. After she had spent a period of time. In the hospital. Um, eventually, she did recover. And mm-hmm. at that point, they realized that it would be better for her to be in a more stable, recovered state right. to get access to a lung transplant list. She had a better chance of, of actually receiving an organ if she got on the list being healthier. So they worked to recover her. Eventually, she was transferred to the same rehab facility mm-hmm. and learned how to do everything all over again. That time, it was especially hard because her previous stint on, in a coma, she had lost all her muscle mass, a ton of weight. So this time, it took several months for her to regain her strength.
0: Oh, yeah, I can imagine.
1: Yeah, it was, it was tough.
0: Wow. Well... Did she ever at any point get to just, you know, I know that she got to go to your graduation. Um, d- you know, was she ever at a point where she just got to stay home for a while and just kind of yes. be stable for a while? And, you know, you know, before she went into this second phase of, you know, trauma?
1: Yes. Um, and I would say it was really just the period of like most of December, 2011, Mhm. A- Uh, maybe half of January 2012, and then she was hospitalized again, and I would say that was like mid-January 2012 to April or May Mm -hmm. 2012. And then finally, you know, mid-May, in May 2012, she was able to be released, and that's when her doctor um, got her set up with specialists at... UT Southwestern
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, in Dallas, Fort Worth, and then um, National Jewish Health, which is a leading pulmonary hospital in the nation, and it's in Denver, Colorado.
0: Hmm.
1: So it was then, once she got settled with those specialists, um, and, and then also seeing her doctor there in Midland, that they determined she had interstitial lung disease. And they also had diagnosed her with rheumatoid arthritis and Sjogren's at this time and believed that those autoimmune diseases led to her interstitial lung disease.
0: That's what I was about to ask you. When, when, when was she diagnosed with the other two autoimmune diseases, the rheumatoid arthritis and the surgeons? Um, and, you know, how, how did they determine that, you know, that they thought that that was what led to the ILD?
1: You know, it's interesting because I'm not sure that there was ever, you know, 100% certainty that that's what led to the ILD, Mm -hmm. but so many autoimmune diseases can lead to ILD.
0: Oh yeah, Um, they feed off of each other.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think it was a, obviously an educated guess Mm -hmm. that maybe she had RA and she had Sjögren's, but was you know, unsymptomatic or very mild symptoms,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, prior to ever even getting sick with pneumonia. And you know, maybe her body just really reacted horribly to having those and they attacked her lungs. Right. That that was really our best guess. It was it was tough. And it was during this time that they, you know, explained that with ILD you can receive a lung transplant and I mean, that can save your life. It can give you, in some instances, it gives people decades more time, some just yeah. a few years, but it was, a, you know, a good viable option. And at first, we thought she was the perfect candidate for a transplant. Mm-hmm. But further testing showed that she had what we believe was called high panel reactive antibody. Mm-hmm. And a high PRA means that the patient is primed to react Immunologically against a large proportion of the population and therefore increases the risk of organ rejection. Oh. And we believe she had the high PRA because she had had um, really bad an- uh, anemia when she had myself and my sister. Mm-hmm. And she had to receive blood transfusions during both of those deliveries. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple of times throughout her hospitalizations that she had to receive blood transfusions. And sometimes with that, you know, especially someone with an autoimmune disease, their body, uh, strangely to those antibodies in those transfusions. Yeah. So then it was ultimately decided that she could still be put on a transplant list, but it was, a very, very, very rare, um, possibility that they would find a match for her that also had that high PRA.
0: Hmm. Were there certain medications, uh, that seemed to have helped her at all?
1: Um, yes. So I, I can't remember a lot of the medications she was on. I know that she was on several rounds of different steroids at different times and those helped, but of course, those you know came with complications, right? Um, she was on a lot of different treatments for her lungs, specifically different breathing treatments, and of course, different medications. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I wanted to mention that benefited her significantly were antidepressants. Mm. So, she was someone who had struggled with her mental health in the past, mm-hmm. and she had had to have a full hysterectomy at a really young age, and back then they took ovaries and the uterus. And without your ovaries, you're not producing, you know, the the hormones that a woman is supposed to be producing. Right. And she was never on any kind of hormone replacement. So I think finally being on a consistent antidepressant, anti anxiety, because obviously someone who's diagnosed with this very anxious, yes. very depressed. Yes. It it's tough. So really, finally being on the right medication for her mental health helped her tremendously.
0: Right, and you know, I always say our mental health is just as important as our physical health. Um, you
1: Absolutely. know,
0: I was going to ask you. You know, I know she faced a lot of, um, you know, she had a lot of things that she was facing physically, but I, you know, I'm sure she faced a lot of. Um, things mentally, you know, as well, Um, when she was diagnosed with the IOD and just going through all of that. Absolutely. Um, What are the most significant changes that you remember her having to make during her daily routine uh, due to her interstitial lung disease?
1: I think... Obviously, being on oxygen full-time was challenging. Right. She was on um, an oxygen concentrator at home. Mm -hmm. And if she left the house, she needed the large, you know, oxygen cylinder. Right. And I remember hearing you and your husband talk about those challenges of being able to coordinate, having enough oxygen tanks. And making sure you have the right tool to be able to um, open them and get them started and Making sure that it's a full tank. And yes. Those obviously those changes um, were incredibly difficult for her, and she was so young. Yeah. Um. Uh, so to go from being a successful realtor, uh, having a great career, to going to no longer being able to work, being on full time oxygen, and
0: it's she, hard.
1: It's it was absolutely hard. In the beginning, she was able to travel some, like, she was able to drive her own car, she would still get to do a few things like that, um, but over time, that just got more and more difficult for her. Yeah. Um, I think really the biggest challenge she faced was just the shock of everything and just trying to wrap her head around... How sick she really was, right. and how much time had passed when she was in a coma.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, and my family is really especially my mom. was great about finding humor in things, right? And I remember um, during one of her stunts, being in a coma, the Texas Rangers were in the World Series and they lost. And she was like, "What happened? How did they lose?" <laughs> remember Whitney Houston passed away and she was like, oh my gosh, you know, just devastated by some of the things that had happened around the world that she had missed out on,
0: you
1: know? Yeah.
0: Like, how long was I out for?
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. Like, what? All did I miss? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, it sounds like that she um, was a very wonderful lady, and that she was very oh. positive, and, um,
1: thank
0: you. you know, I, I believe your attitude goes a long way with you when you have a disease, um, like ILD, um, and it sounds like that you guys, you, your sister, your dad, were an amazing support system for her.
1: Well, thank you. I, I could not speak highly enough about my dad, because, I mean, this is completely uncharted territory for all of us. Mm -hmm. And my dad took those vows till death do us part to heart. And he was with her every step of the way throughout this. My sister and I were with her every step of the way throughout all of this. And um, we, we, we loved that woman. And she had lots of other friends and family that loved her tremendously and supported her and I I like to think she knew she was not alone in this and she also regained her faith and became active in her church and her church family um really changed her life too and she became at peace with what had happened to her and I know she was scared of dying and she was scared of what you know lay ahead but having faith in God, and having a good support system, or, you
0: know, uh, it's everything, her. it's everything. Yes, um, yes. What do you think is most important for our listeners that are battling the same disease or similar disease to know?
1: Um. I think, obviously, it's, it's have faith and have faith in God's plan and understand He does not waste. Um, obviously, it, it could have been really easy for my mom and our family to get down and say, this isn't fair. Why did this happen? And of course, it wasn't fair. Right. But we we also witnessed so many miracles throughout my mom's illness. We We witnessed so much generosity from our community. And I think my mom finally realized like how truly loved she was by so many people and I, I think that's really important for someone battling a disease like this is to try their best to remain positive
0: Absolutely.
1: it is really easy to to get in a hole and get in a dark place
0: yeah Absolutely. I think
1: it, it offered a different perspective on life for all of us and I think we all look at life differently Obviously, yeah, I still have days where I'm not perfect. Yeah, I'm who sure does my it? dad and sister do, too. But yeah, it's like when you're faced with something... Well, well when you're faced with a life-or-death situation, I think you realize how unimportant things are in life. The yeah. Things that we put too much weight on that really aren't that important. So I would like to think that we value things and have a different perspective on life and yeah a huge huge appreciation for healthcare professionals um throughout this process my sister realized that this was her calling she wanted to be a nurse Mm -hmm. and that has just changed her life she is an amazing nurse
0: good for her um
1: she she's wonderful she has received lots of uh accolades from uh her the hospital she works for and for from her patients and i think god truly you know showed her that was her calling through this and
0: that's wonderful but also
1: have in the same hand of having appreciation for healthcare. excuse me Mm -hmm. understand that they are human and that they are overstaffed or i'm sorry understaffed and overworked yes and it is so important for patients to have an advocate my mom, I don't know that she was in alone in her room more than maybe four hours by herself. Mm-hmm. We were always there with her, and we did things to help her things that we didn't have to do, um, but if it meant we could put her on a bedpan or we could change her sheets for her when she was at physical therapy, we did that to to help them. Yeah, and I think they appreciated that. And I think she received better care because she had patient advocates there with her all the
0: time. I I couldn't agree with you with you more. Um, you know, I've I recently, you know, like as I was talking or I was telling you, I had a transplant back in December, and um, you know, the nurses there, the staff there, I mean, they really make you just. It's it's just um they are so I, I had so many just 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 wonderful just nurses that just would come in just to just to talk just to just to be a companion just um just they I mean it's it's amazing um, what what they can bring how they how they bring so much joy. Um, how they can bring so much joy to a, a sick person's life, um, yes. and and they care so much. Um, you have some that just really care about you, like like your family, and you know. So anything that you can do to help them, um, you know, do it. I mean, because they 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 really are the 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 MVPs there of of the hospital. Like they, you know, your doctors are important, but your nurses. They really do, I mean, there's some that really strive to take the best care of you, and, and um, you know, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more about that.
1: Absolutely, and it's so crazy that you're a stranger to them, yeah. you know, and, and they give everything they have to care for you, and my mom stayed in contact with um, a lot of her physical therapists, respiratory therapists, nurses, obviously her doctor, um throughout her illness, and still saw them, and they were just amazing, they were a huge support for her too, and they were cheering her on, and rooting for her, but also I'll say, my mom worked very, very hard, Mm -hmm. she, if, if in physical therapy, they said, we need you to do 10 reps, she was gonna do 15, she was a fodder, and, I'm sorry, I'm starting to get emotional, but she fought so hard, and that's something too, that you have to do yeah. As a, and I know it could be so easy to just give up I I can't imagine I've, I've seen it but I my, myself have not been in that place and I know it could be so easy to give up but fight for yourself yes and I know you have because what I have heard about your story you're a fighter and you're just amazing so well, thank you <laughs> but to the people out there you know fight for
0: yourself yeah you have to be your own advocate i mean no one else can do it for you people your support system they can be right there beside you but they can't they can't you know fight for you you have to you have to do it you know you have to you have to do that yourself so you know i always say you know always be your own be your own advocate no matter how hard it gets i mean you, you just that's just something you have to do for yourself you know absolutely do you have anything else you want to uh, share or or add to today's segment
1: um I have a few just things uh sure one is I, I mentioned before how important mental health is and I think I love how this podcast offers a community to people struggling with autoimmune disease or families you know who have a member of their family struggling and I think having that community is so important so if that helps with your mental health absolutely be a part of it Um, and I think also kind of part of the you know mental health is finding the humor in the situation my mom did that and everything Um, I remember when she was on really high doses of steroids she developed you know moon face Mm -hmm. and I remember she would call herself Pred Head, <laughs> like Prednisone Head, um, or if she forgot her train of thought, uh, she'd joke and just say, "Well, I'm oxygen deprived." <laughs> <laughs> I think you know finding the humor in things and just understanding that God has a bigger plan for all of this, and <clears throat> find find those things that make you laugh and remember them, and um. It's a tough journey for sure, but there are so many good things that can come from it too. Um, have grace for the patient and their family. Uh, like I said, this is, was completely uncharted territory for us, and we were doing the absolute best we could. But we had so many people asking us, what's going on? And yesterday you said this, and now it's a different story. Mm-hmm. And it's like, things changed so quickly. right? And And it was just, you know have grace for people going through this because obviously none of us were in the medical field. Um, and I mean, you have to learn so much about this and be able to communicate that to other people who are asking, you know, what's going on. So absolutely, just have grace for the families. Um, and also have grace for other people. My sister and I were really young when this happened. Um, my mom ended up passing away in two 2000- thousand. 16 i was 28 and my sister was 23 at the time Mm -hmm. and you know we had friends who maybe weren't as supportive as we thought they should be or as understanding of what we were going through but as time has passed and we've both grown and matured we understand those people just hadn't had these life experiences right um most people don't lose their parents until much later in life and you know it's just all about having grace and Mm -hmm. but also I have a huge appreciation for the people who were amazing to us during that time and, and very supportive and in that let people help you yes there were so many times that people were like let us come over and bring you dinner let us clean the house before your mom comes home and we were, we were, you know, we were hard to allow people to help us. And looking back, you know, we were denying them the opportunity to, to show their love. Right. Um, so let people help you. And if someone does get hospitalized and is in a, you know, intensive care unit situation, try to conserve your energy too, because we sat in that hospital hours on hours, just to be there, to be there if anything changed. And yes, I do think you need to be present, but maybe we could have energy or worked out some shifts because once our mom did wake up, she wanted us there. And Mm -hmm. she didn't realize, you know, we had spent six weeks, almost 24 hours a day (laughs) sitting in the hospital. So um, conserve your energy and know that this could be a long haul and just try to kind of plan accordingly if you can, it's, it's difficult to do, but, um, last thing, obviously, uh, life is so short, life is so precious, make amends with people, my mom reconnected with her dad, and their relationship became stronger than ever, and, you know, um, she was so grateful that that happened, um, and I guess the last thing is, Social media, I think, can be a great tool, and obviously, that's what brought me to this podcast, and hearing your story, and hearing other stories, and it's amazing, and I'm so grateful for it, but I think people need to remember that, you know, respect people's privacy, Yes. because when my mom passed, unfortunately, one of her cousins had learned of her passing via Facebook, and I think... That happens so often these days because we live in a world where news is shared instantaneously. Right. So give families time to communicate important information like that without sharing on social media. Give people grace and just understand that no one knows what this is like until you've truly walked it yourself. Right. So just have grace.
0: (laughs) No, I couldn't. I couldn't agree with you more. I think you've made some excellent points. Um, Thank you. And so, you know, again, I appreciate you so much for coming on here today with me and just allowing me to interview you. Your your mom's story is just. I mean, it's so heartfelt. It's so beautiful, and and she sounds like she was just an amazing woman and, thank you. um, you sound like you were an amazing daughter to her. So, um, you know, I just, I'm so glad that you wanted to come on and, and share her story. Cause I know that it really helped and educated a lot of people out there.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I, I loved my mother and I am so happy to share her legacy and, I love talking about her. People sometimes are afraid to bring up someone who's passed away, but mm-hmm. people want to remember them and share their legacy. And I think she would have just loved uh, knowing you oh. and hearing your story. So <laughs> well, I hope that my mom and your mom are watching down and I hope so, thrilled too. that we're getting together to do this. <laughs>
0: I, I, I absolutely think that they are. And, um, you know, I, I know that your mother would be very proud of you today.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, Erica. And I know your mom would be proud of you, too. You were a fighter. And thank you. I can't wait to see how your story continues and how you continue to, to share um, this crazy world <laughs> <laughs> of autoimmune disease yeah. with people. So know that you're helping. You're a godsend. and you're just
0: wonderful. (laughs) Thank you so much. And remember, if you out there have any questions or comments, please email me at the silent battle 2022 at gmail.com. And always remember, life is tough, but so are you. Everyone have a great rest of the day. Thank you so much, Nicolin.
1: Thank you.